This episode contains discussions of depression, suicide and suicidal ideation, self-harm, eating disorders, and mental illness that some listeners may find triggering. If at any point this discussion becomes too overwhelming or triggering for you, please hit pause and do not feel obligated to listen further. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline, available 24-7 in the U.S., is 1-800-273-8255. This hotline, along with other resources, will be available in the description. Hello, I'm Lizzie Zinn, and on today's installment of Redefining the Narrative, I'm pleased to welcome Mandy Robick. Mandy, thank you so much for being willing to speak vulnerably on this platform. I've really been looking forward to hearing your narratives and your unique perspectives as a mother. Thanks for having me, Lizzie. It's, um, I'm excited to meet you and learn about your project and um, helping other people. Yeah, thank you. Before we get started, I wanted to take some time to have you introduce yourself uh, to the listeners, including some of your background, experiences, and what you're involved in now. I uh, originally, I grew up in upstate New York and met my husband in college and we moved out here to Ohio for um, his job. We have three daughters. Bridget is our youngest, who we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. I'm a school teacher. I've taught for 27 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I love kids reading, writing, helping the girls. They're in graduate school, undergraduate, and a senior in high school. Wow, you got yourself a handful right there, for sure. Um, So (laughs) when we spoke last, I asked you to think about a couple of narratives or experiences that you had or witnessed relating to mental health. So do you have some stories in mind that you wanted to talk about today? Yeah, I think if we go back to the very beginning Mm -hmm. of our story or our journey with mental health, um, Bridget's seventh grade teachers called me for a spring parent-teacher conference in seventh grade, and I thought she just wasn't getting some of her work done sometimes, or um, I really didn't think, I, I felt, it felt a little odd being called for a parent-teacher conference yeah usually when teachers ask there's a concern right but I I was great you know I was like okay I'll go um I usually did go and when I got there I walked into the room and all her teachers were there which is common in middle school but then Mm -hmm. the um school guidance counselor was there which isn't always common yeah Yeah. (laughs) I walked in and I went oh I think this is bigger than I thought it was gonna be our conversation unfolded, they said, Bridget started her school day super happy. And by the end of the school day, her emotions, the last period, I believe it was social studies, she was Mm -hmm. just completely drained. Like they could just see it wearing on her body. Um, And so they were really the ones who urged us to start private therapy for Bridget. Mm -hmm. Um, They felt, you know, in middle school, it's always been a fine line with mental health and this journey as what is a typical teenager and emotions. And, um, cause that's a little bumpy as you grow yeah, up and figure absolutely. out life. <laughs> um, so when they brought it to our attention, um, and that they were making these observations, being a teacher myself, sometimes we can get so focused on the academics of learning 
Mm-hmm. And the whole child is so important. And um, I just walked out feeling very grateful and uncertain about where to go next. Yeah. So um, they definitely assured some of those questions, those questions I had about girl drama was Bridget initiating um, conversations with friends that were wearing her down. And, and they said, no, that, you know, when girls got upset with each other, it was never complaining about her Mm -hmm. or um they just felt she wasn't quite sure how to process all that and that she had a huge caring heart like super empathetic almost over empathetic that Mm -hmm. she was almost like because she would come home and say she helped a friend like go to the nurse yeah and then she she wouldn't start feeling well in the middle of eighth grade along the way um was our first journey but finding out and knowing the extent that your child is harming themselves because they don't feel good yeah. is a terrible feeling because you don't know how you almost become into hyper vigilance about yeah. you want to you want to prevent it doing yeah it. yeah right what else is going on how is this happening mm-hmm. um became a definite like I'd have to sweep her room and look for things mm-hmm. um it came down to safety yeah like I have to keep you safe and if right. I feel you're not safe, then we would have, you know, then I, we have to do things to, to work with that. And her next therapist was super helpful. Um, just gave me some more books to read Mm -hmm. and started working with Bridget, giving her some skills to use, um, strategies along the way, um, understanding. And I think the other big thing was the whole mental health piece is to understand that Bridget it wasn't a choice. Her brain is wired differently. Right. You know, um, and once I understood like it was a, you know, chemistry was involved and we held off on medication. We didn't want to go down the route of medication Mm -hmm. that, um, and finally our therapist, um, nudged us to explore that. So we began that journey too. And we had, um, when we were working with the first therapist, I, another just story, like I took Bridget to therapy, we're singing in the car. It's so hard because you don't know what's inside the brain. Yeah. Um, and when I went in for the debriefing, she said, um, Bridget has some thoughts and I want you to go to children's emergency room for an evaluation. And I oh, was like, gosh. oh, can I go home and get my husband? <laughs> and she said, no, he'll meet you there. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> so pretty just, yeah. real. Um, that was real. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things I learned is just to go into autopilot. And what people mm-hmm. told me to do is what you have to do. Like, okay, so called my husband. We met at Children's. Um, and that was uh, December of eighth grade. And I remember sitting in the um, lobby and just talking having conversation talking about what was mm-hmm. on TV I was trying to keep her distracted in a way yeah and um I think it was frustrating you wanted it to appear normal even though it couldn't be normal and really I sat there and I started to pray I was like well dear God don't take her from us you know like yeah do we like I kept questioning do we really need to be here um we came home that night like at midnight with a safety plan mm-hmm. um which was all new to us. And they felt there was no space in the city 
to have her admitted, but they didn't feel like also she met all the criteria yeah. at that point. And looking back, she didn't, you know, it was frustrating as our journey went on and she did need more help that, right. well, what if, what if we had gotten help that sure. time in December, but um, it was the right call at the time that they, you know, so we just came home with a safety plan and put locked up sharps and knives and medication because we had just, um, it was shortly after that we started medication. Just for the timeline of events here, when did that, was it the second therapist who brought that up with you? Um, She's having some suicidal ideation thoughts. It was was December. um, Yeah, that was actually her first therapist. Okay, okay. And so we went to the hospital. They didn't admit her. And I think it was after that. I probably skipped in the timeline there is then when I realized how much self-harm had happened. Mm, Okay. And that's when I realized I kind of spoke up more. And that's what's hard too, because it's not my field. I teach. Yeah. I thought I knew kids, but I didn't know mental health. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I had raised, you know, three daughters. I still didn't know mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was after our first, you know, visit to the hospital for that thoughts and then realizing that cutting had been worse, that then I kind of advocated, we need something different. We need something more. Yeah. This isn't just like the conversations we're having were helpful and she'd help her process middle school life but it something more needed to be done so that's when we switched to a, 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 the second therapist okay I, I'm just out of curiosity was it was it Bridget who was resistant to medication or was it kind of like a group like n- no one really wanted to go on medication for Bridget no I think she did I think she was more open okay. to it and I think I felt like she felt like that was going to be a quick fix yeah. Um, you know, like that yeah. was going to be a quick fix. And so her therapist was very patient with us. And then she finally said, I think we have to give it a, a try mm-hmm. just because of their conversations and things. So we had just tried that um, probably in October of her freshman year. It took us a while. Yeah. I think it's important to kind of sort through things before jumping to, to medication. Like, unless like you're in crisis and like you need, you need that quick fix right away. I think it is really important. It's very prudent to, to go through, you know, let's, let's talk about it and figure out, you know, what you need and, and what's, what do we need to supplement you with kind of thing. So. Right. Right. It's, it's a layer and we had to learn, you know, exactly. Yeah the therapy and you can learn these new skills and then there's a medication piece. And I think that's when I started to understand if her brain didn't make enough of something or Mm -hmm. um, would help her stop ruminating those thoughts, right. That caused the anxiety because the emotion dysregulation led to depression and anxiety, which Mm -hmm. those two things led to suicidal ideation. What was high school like then? So she, I think we got up to freshman year of high school. What was, yeah. what was the rest of the years like for her? Um, her freshman year of high school turned into our hard, hard, hard year. Yeah. That, um, that December, she, um, high school was hard. High school um, is hard in general. <laughs> High school's hard in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you throw in some emotion dysregulation. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it was it was hard. She just navigating school and people's thinking or what she thought they were thinking mm-hmm. or just 
eating, you know, in the cafeteria was hard. Um, work, she could manage the workload. She'd get a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. Then she'd catch back up. Um, so in December, December seems to be our magic, not magic month, but it's, there's a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> so you look for patterns. Like right. you, you, I'm a teacher, so I look for things in uh-huh. children. Um, so that December, she reached out to us and said like she had suicide thoughts and that she mm-hmm. had to call the helpline. Um, so I called and talked to her therapist first mm-hmm. or e- emailed her. She called us back. We had a long conversation and she said, you need, we need to call the helpline and they'll walk you through it. They'll walk Bridget through it. They'll talk mm-hmm. to you first. Then they talk to Bridget and then they'll talk to you again and make a decision of what to do. So um, I said, I just listened because I'm not the expert. I said, okay. So we called the helpline. They talked to me. They talked to Bridget. I remember she went down in the basement, so I couldn't hear, you know, mm-hmm. that side of the conversation. And uh, so I talked to the nurse again on the phone and she said, yeah, we need, you need to bring her in. And I went, okay. Yeah. So we, um, I feel like my husband, as we worked that out, either he met me there I think he met me there, but we took her to Ohio State that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio State and children's work really great together. Um, and Ohio State tends to take the older children with space and things. And Bridget was right at the cusp. Like she could have gone to both places sure, based yeah. on her age. So we went to Ohio State and we had to go through the emergency room. And I did not know like emergency rooms have different departments. So mm-hmm. we were in the psych emergency room with adults, with police officers bringing adults mm-hmm. in to this. And here we are with a 13 year old, 14 year old, pretty scary. Yeah. So you just, you <laughs> sit, you wait, but you can just see like. Yeah, that, that would have been really hard to do. Yeah, that was the scariest thing. Yeah. To walk away. Yeah. But there, nobody would have slept, you know. Right. You, yeah, you can logic it out and you can be like, it, this is the best decision, but it's still like one of the hardest things you'd ever have to do to right. hand off the right. care of your own child. Can't right. even imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, in that, just that setting that it was a psych ward with police officers and adults, you know, like, yep. so you have to trust medical people. And mm-hmm. she was there for nine days. She was admitted the next day to their psychiatric floor. Um, with kids and we just went into autopilot and learned as much as we could and um, she learned more strategies Um, doctors are brilliant and amazing and they call Mm -hmm. us and talk to us Um, she had a lot of anger at that time just anger anger at the world you know yeah so then we brought her home for Christmas Um, we told no one I didn't tell the school. I just said she was sick and I was trying to manage getting her assignments because she mm-hmm. had like an hour a day to do schoolwork. Yeah. Um, I remember it was probably like six days before Christmas and I didn't have a single gift spot. Because oh <laughs> <laughs> you just, became, you know, I kept, you know, we kept working. We go see her. Right, 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 right. Um, one, the oldest daughter was in college. She was at mm-hmm. Ohio State. In the middle, the next daughter was home. It was her senior year. And so we just went into autopilot and we 
got Christmas together. We made it through Christmas. Um, you know, that whole time home was always a safe place. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's hard. And if I would um, just tell families that like Bridget could go to softball practice, she could go to school and she would light up her room, but she didn't say she was lighting up the room. You know, people yeah. were always so happy to see her. Um, and there were some really hard moments at home and yeah. you would just try to get through those, you know, mm-hmm. and try to help her. And bottom line was to always keep her safe, you know? Right. So, I mean, there were nights finding her, you know, yeah, and, and bringing her back and helping her through. And one of wow. the quick things we learned from her, um, her second therapist there was the whole brain and ice chemistry. So like when you get dysregulated, there's a whole scientific part of your brain that if you put ice on it or dip your forehead in a bowl of water, it mm-hmm. comes that, that nervous system down that side. Um, it was like, we were grasping anything anybody told us. Yeah. We were oh, trying. You'll do just about anything. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. would do anything. Yeah. So after wow. that hospitalization, we still knew, knew we needed this program called DBT. Mm-hmm. Um, and Children's was the only place that does it, I would say, organically, like all the components. Yeah. Um, what does that stand for again? dialectical behavior therapy okay I think I've heard of the that. dialectical yeah it yeah. throws me off a little bit yeah I don't know how we got there that weekend if it was her therapist or we I don't remember calling the helpline it might have been her therapist again from an appointment and we went back to OSU because that's where we had been mm-hmm. and they didn't want to fully admit her they put her on a calm floor for the weekend okay um because they they weren't sure you know the extent of you know, her needs. Right. And they decided at that time that she didn't need to be fully admitted again. And that, that advanced us to needing intensive outpatient therapy. They thought that would be the next step. And so OSU had um, a program in room for us. And so did children. And I met with both departments Mm -hmm. and OSU wanted to take her out of school for half a day where children's could do it after school. Okay. I didn't want her missing more school. Right you know, because you worry about that. Also, I was trying to keep everything. We were trying to keep life normal and right. being with your friends is important, you know, mm-hmm. even though it could cause distress. So um, we ended up going, that's when we kind of shift our services over to children. And I knew that, so we spent the month of February, she would um, go four days a week sessions after school for mm-hmm. I think it was three three hours a night there was a parent component for the first time we had weekly meetings on Mondays and then she had a private therapy with children's and that was what was that was always hard um, and has been hard because when you go to work with a facility in a program you have to use their doctors mm-hmm. so then you have to leave your private therapist who you have entrusted and felt right and built up some rapport gained. with and yeah right Right. And that has always been hard for her. Like when mm-hmm. we switched to children's, we had to switch, like you couldn't keep your same psychiatrist, you know, you had to work with their doctors there. Um, and so she had to go for an evaluation for um, IOP at children's. And I have never seen her be so belligerent with a stranger oh, before. No. <laughs> it was oh, horrible. No. It was awful. It was awful. My husband and I sat there in this room with a brilliant yeah dry erase board drawing diagrams oh my god explaining how her brain worked you know Uh like I learned so much yeah 
I could respect that, but also part of the mental health piece for us has been, she never wanted to disappoint people. And so she would never meet with, like, it was really hard for her to meet and talk in a room with me there Mm -hmm. or my husband there. And at one point during this meeting, I said to the doctor, I said, if we were to leave, she'd probably open up and talk to you more. And he said, oh, I can tell that from the body language of everybody in this room and no one is leaving. Oh my God. I started praying again. Yeah. Because I didn't know what else, we didn't know what to do. And I knew she needed this program. But I mean, these spots, I get it now. Like you can only have so many kids in the program. You have to, there's such a range with emotions and then mental health diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have to, I mean, I, he was pushing her buttons to make sure she needed the program yeah. and she did not like him at all. And, but at the end of like an hour and a half, she came around and she apologized. Oh, wow. And she said, I know I haven't been easy and I'm sorry, you know, like, and I was like, oh God, thank God. And he goes, I know this is hard. <laughs> um. So then we did IOP for a month. I worked Mm -hmm. half the days, but even then, like I didn't want to come home. Um, So I stayed at work. Like I could have left at noon, but I had a guest teacher substitute come in at noon and we would work together till two Mm -hmm. and I would leave at two, go home, pick up Bridget and then go to children's every night with her. And I remember sitting for the first time in a parent group with other parents and this gentleman sat next to me. We had to introduce ourselves and how we got here to this Mm -hmm. point. And he said, I was the phone call my daughter made when she had a noose around her neck. Oh my God. And my heart just sank. And then it puts you into perspective. Like, I'm not, I'm not there. Yeah. You know, like that could be me, but that's not how I got here. Yeah. It was my whole, like, I just think my whole heart stopped in that moment. Like, yeah. okay, this has been really hard, but not that like I'm okay. Yeah, thank God it hasn't progressed to right. that point. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so that was helpful. We learned the same thing, tools and cognitive behavior therapy was more of the mm-hmm. focus at that time. Um, we, you have to play nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you do not like him or want to do this, but this is what we're going to do. Um, and it worked out. So um, then we came home on a Friday. Uh, we went to Franklin Park. That's one of our favorite places to go to. Mm. We went to the book loft, I think, um, in German Village, one of our favorite spots. And um, she went to school on Monday. It was going to be a normal day. She was mm-hmm. so excited. Um, so she went to school and she went to uh, softball practice. One of the first people she told was the varsity softball coach. She was a freshman. And I happened to get she started the conversation before I got there so I just stood out in the hallway Mm -hmm. and I watched her coach's reaction and it was the most compassionate caring (sighs) response yeah because we really hadn't told anybody yeah um all this was going on and she was said she shared that one of her best friends had worked on mental health and Mm -hmm. that Bridget was not to worry about softball whatever she needs the team will be there oh my Um, god yeah. That's yeah. Huge. So it was huge. And I just watched, she's always had such courage and has really learned to advocate for herself. So Monday she went to school, went to softball practice. She's a 4-H camp counselor. And in between both, she said, you know, 
I'm having these thoughts again. I'm like, it's been a busy day, you know, like, Mm -hmm. let's, but you're so excited for everything. Let's just keep going, you know? So Mm -hmm. I drove her up and she wasn't driving. So I I waited for the meeting to be over and um, we were singing in the car. We were laughing. And I just thought to myself, okay, we we made it through. We rode, they'll say, Mm -hmm. you have to ride the wave. We rode the wave, you know, like, cause you're, I think one thing she, we all had to learn, but she really had to learn is that emotions aren't bad. They come right. and they go, you know, and it's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel disappointment. It's okay, you know, right. and everything isn't always happy, but you have to, you know, as soon as you acknowledge it, name it, then you can move on from it mm-hmm. sooner mm-hmm. than otherwise. So I thought we had made it through. Um, and we even like, we don't eat out fast food, but I figured she was hungry, you know, after the day. And so I was like, I don't want to go home and cook anything at nine fifteen at night. No. So <laughs> we went through Wendy's and. I mean, we were singing songs. She loves music, laughing. We got home. She started eating her food. Scott and I were on either side of her. And she said, the farts aren't leaving. I have to call the helpline. Wow. So at 10 o'clock at night, we called. And they said to bring her to Children's. So Scott took her down to Children's. And they admitted her. But there wasn't room in the Mm -hmm. city again. So um, she was on the 10th floor for five days with 24 hour supervision. We couldn't be left alone with her. I would work and at four o'clock, I'd leave at 3.30, go down and meet with the doctors. At four, we had a psychiatrist. She'd wait for me till I got there. She was mm-hmm. um, a little old grandma. And <laughs> she, I remember talking to her. That's how I looked at her. Like, you know, she's just this short yeah. little sweet thing. Um, and one day she said, you know, Bridget's been sharing some things with me and we've been talking a lot and um I just kept waiting for them to say kind of like at OSU like oh we'll be able to bring her home right Um, and she said but how are you doing you have a lot on your plate oh my god and not that but because I didn't share anything with anyone but it was like the first time someone had stopped and asked yeah and I I didn't I was shouting my oh I'm okay I'm fine which are the worst (laughs) words to say in mental health (laughs) to say okay you're fine it's not yeah. true <laughs> it's the automatic response it's like yeah everything's fine yeah everything's fine like oh, we're good um but that really just stopped me in my tracks and I, you know I probably should have been more honest with my answer no it's crazy like you know um but she felt like she still you know she needed mm-hmm. inpatient therapy and stuff and um and I said well you know we Worked with OSU, super happy with OSU, but now that we had been with Children's, I just kind of wanted to stay put, you know? Yeah. Um, and so a week later, we were able to move her to what's called T5 or what's called T5 at the time. And she spent six days there. And that became, that wasn't an angry Bridget. That was, she was more mellow. I would say mm-hmm. like when she was on the 10th floor, she just laid in bed for five days watching TV. It was truly your classic, what you envision as a depressed person, you know? Yeah. Like, and um, it was really super helpful. They have, when they do that 24-hour care, sometimes it's nursing students or nurses mm. will pick up an extra yeah. shift. College kids come in because she couldn't be left alone. Like, so I would come meet with a doctor. I would order dinner and be able to eat with her in her room. She had a private room. Um, and then my goal every day was to get her out of her bed because I was afraid mm. she wasn't getting out of bed. And we yeah. would just walk the floor. Well, that whoever was supervising her had to come with us. I couldn't even be trusted to be with right. her, you know? So we um, would walk every night. And one of the um, nursing students 
kind of, she had a son about Bridget's age and we got mm-hmm. to know her and she started picking up extra shifts just to be with Bridget. Oh and my God. <laughs> it was so touching to just know like someone that you could talk to, you know, they yeah. would all try to talk to her, but a lot of times she just kind of sat there, you know, but um, so we would do, we would do that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So the kindness and the strength that people who work in this field is amazing and beyond compassion, you know? Yeah. Um, so we then got her to T5 on a Friday night and we were able to bring her home on Thursday. We went to visit her one time and there was two people standing outside her door and we, I, we were like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> you know, and they <laughs> yeah. said, well, we, we've never seen this side of Bridget. She's really upset and she's throwing oh, crayons all over the room. She had had crayons because coloring is yeah. the skill they have. Um, and so my husband went in first and then he said to her, her college essay is actually about this, but something about, okay, well, what are we going to change? You're going to pick up your crayons <laughs> and we're going to, you know, do what you need to do to get out of here. But she, um, OSU had let her sisters visit her mm-hmm. while she was there. So the, our, our oldest daughter went over a couple times to see her without us. Um, and then our other daughter could go down and, and see her for a visit in the evenings, but children's did not let siblings come uh-huh. because they had had an incident. So she just wanted to come home to be with her sister. She, yeah. you know, the middle sister is a peacemaker, you know, <laughs> the closest to her in age. And uh, she just wanted to, you know, come home from there. So at this time, um, we still really hadn't, I had finally told the school this time because I couldn't juggle trying to manage her schoolwork Mm-mm. and keep her up. Yeah. Um, and my neighbor called. Um, like just a couple days after and said her daughter was super upset and crying and didn't know where Bridget was and was super super worried and I'm not trying to cry Um, so she was probably the first person I had to really tell all this I told a couple people at work when I was only working half days but um, really kept so much to myself so once after my neighbor called I remember she said to me she said what do you need I said nothing I don't know what to say. And when our conversation got done, she said, I heard you say, you don't even know what Ashley's eating for dinner. She goes, I'm going to take care of that for you. And so the next, the next day she came over and saw Ashley, our middle daughter and brought her gift cards so she could go get some dinner for herself. Just that is, I had. it is stuff like that in the thick of it, where somebody just does something very, very small like that. Even the, the student nurse, you mentioned that pick picked up extra right. shifts like that it just means so much right right it, it's things you never knew Mm-mm. how big they would become yeah. you know so then I did call Bridget's core group of friends and or the moms and because another one mom had called me like the next mm-hmm. morning and then I said okay I need to make some phone calls and so yeah. I did and then um asked the doctors like how do her friends respond to this and they're like they just roll with it they pick up where the pieces left off. If Bridget talks about it, she does. If she doesn't, they just keep going, you know? Yeah. Um, and her support group has been fantastic. They've stuck by her side. They don't ask a lot. They didn't ask a lot of questions. Um, that night we brought her home on Thursday. She said, I'm going to go get Chinese dinner with my friend. Oh my and I was like, you are? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but I, they rode their bikes. It's just around the block. Mm-hmm. Scott said, she's you know we're gonna let her do it and mm-hmm. when she they rode bikes down the, the street it was like 
normal. You know, like we had made progress, you know, it was just a simple thing. Like I trusted her with this friend, right? The friend was there the minute she was home, they were laughing. They went and had dinner. Then they came home. I have a picture of the two of them just laying in my bed, hanging out for her bed, watching Mm -hmm. YouTube or something just, um, and so I learned to find, we learned like those moments of normal yeah quotation marks normal because nothing is really normal I've learned that right um and then that Saturday her friends all came over for a pasta dinner with her and didn't yeah she just wanted to see her friends and of course we wanted that to be supervised you know or just be around and all her friends showed up with some kind of just gift for her like encouraging a card a picture a book you know like just very thoughtful meaningful things that were motivational and like just didn't even imagine and there was just laughter and joy in the house and it's that's all part of healing right you know right so uh she played softball and I remember the first time she was up to bat it was like one of those softball really saved her I think that's what got her through the spring because she had stuff to keep her busy we mm-hmm. kept her mind off other things we returned to private therapy waiting for this dbt training i kept making phone calls the intake specialist we know each other's name by heart <laughs> and i think that's what's hard like you have to keep persevering as a parent yeah. right and it is draining and it's exhausting and luckily we had the me you know like we had a health insurance that helped you know it didn't always mm-hmm. help um and there are ways I just kept asking questions and just knew this was going to be what she needed. So we started that. We actually got in, um, in June, she worked with a private, her therapist there. Then we started the program in July and we were there through December of her sophomore year because it's a six month program and you have to sign a contract that you will come every week. I think you were allowed one absence. Um, you couldn't be tardy. It was, it was intense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she would go uh, once a week to an hour and a half private therapy. We would eat dinner. I packed the same Chinese chicken salad every week because I could do it the night before. We'd eat dinner downstairs. And then we would go to a family class mm-hmm. for two hours together every Tuesday night. We met another family was there with us. And then a third family joined us. So they're very small sessions. Yeah. At that time, Bridget had, um, she had the ability to call her therapist in the moment of a crisis I don't think she ever did there was we worked with different therapists in our parent class and one was assigned to us and I did call her like just trying to process like Mm -hmm. this was said or this was done and is this the right reaction or do you have a suggestion how should I react differently because it was learning really thought patterns um there's different verbal path conversations Mm -hmm. and how to start things with her to so that she to reduce the triggering Along the way, um, we had to sit there and share examples from our own lives, you know, like we would just take turns. So 2019, that January after she started uh, private therapy and children's helped us find someone who had worked with kids on similar paths. He had worked mm-hmm. on T5 at children's and then went private therapist. And we've been with him since we've re- reducing therapies, the um, extent in between and um so a lot of growth. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Um, a year ago, we did start working on an eating disorder, mm-hmm. um, which we caught early. Her psychiatrist caught it early. 
I had wondered about it. And I, I think it had always been in the background. Children's kind of explored that when she was mm-hmm. there full time. Um, but it just felt like she was a fussy eater. And I think it just surfaced once some of the other um, behaviors and coping things got manageable. So, yeah, right. Um, but we're happy to share she has her full weight gain now. <gasps> I so, love that. Um, I love to hear that. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation. OSPF is a not-for-profit organization that works to bring changes in attitudes and perceptions surrounding suicide and its relationship to mental illness, alcohol and drug abuse, and other issues. For more information on how you can help prevent the public health crisis known as suicide, please visit ohiospf.org. That's ohiospf.org. One of the things that I wanted to make sure I I noted um, mm-hmm. you know this this entire story with with Bridget is her incredible bravery and her resilience throughout the whole thing. You know, it sounds like she went through a lot of different therapies, each kind of increasing in intensity as she went on. Mm-hmm. And what strikes me the most about that is that she was willing to admit that she needed help even after multiple mm-hmm. treatments or courses of therapy were completed. And I think there's mm-hmm. this tendency for you know, people suffering from mental illness or intrusive thoughts or suicidal ideation, that after they complete a round of therapy or after a few weeks uh, on a new medication or some time to, to with some sort of intervention that was intended to help them, the expectation is they're completely fine now and they're mm-hmm. cured, they're, they're okay. Um, and anything to the contrary is them just being resistant or difficult or belligerent I think there's also this pressure for those who have like sought out and received care. They need to feel better. They need to feel cured. They, they can't be, you know, they can't have those thoughts anymore. When in reality, mm-hmm. as we all know now, it's okay to not be okay, even after right. receiving treatment. And I think Bridget's willingness and resilience and bravery to speak up and reach out every single time, every step of the way, mm-hmm. that's just incredible. That's, I, I really, really admire that. That's fantastic. And knowing the pressure she must have felt from her family and from her friends and from society, but she still advocated for herself. Mm-hmm. I don't think very many people would be able to do that. That's just incredible. Thank you. Thank you. I know, I think, you know, it's so involved. There's so many layers to it. And I, I think, it, everything just was a different twist. There was a different focus. There was a different, um, and I do worry, like what if she hadn't asked for help every time? Because I don't, I would not have called the helpline unless she had asked me, unless she had told me to. Right. Because I just didn't understand or know what was going on inside her her little head, you know? Mm And to some extent, you know, maybe not in Bridget's case, but for some people, they are really good at hiding it. They don't make it known to their parents or whoever that they're really struggling inside. Yeah. And I think she did for a long time. Yeah. You know, she could do that for a really long time. Um, She would hide as much as she could. One of the biggest things that struck me about your perspective is like you still had to juggle your entire life and your entire family 
outside of the hospital and outside of Bridget getting treatment. You have other kids, you have a job, you have a husband, you have a life, you have, you know, society to answer to. (laughs) How did you manage all of that? Or didn't you? Like, I don't even, I can't even imagine what that was like for you. So I can keep myself busy, then I would Mm -hmm. keep my mind off it. And teaching is a hard profession. Um, Absolutely. if If you're not there, you have to write plans for someone else to do. And then well, if I started not showing up, then I'd have to tell more people why I wasn't showing up. Even though there's privacy mm-hmm. rights and things, you know, like there's this human connection. Like I didn't just skip town. <laughs> right. And I found that by going to work, I mean, there were days I'm sure I wasn't at my best, but that kept me going because it kept me busy. Like mm-hmm. even when I had to take technically a half day and my principal was super kind and super helpful. And she said, if you need to take a leave of absence, let's just do it. You know, like <laughs> you can take half a day, you can take the month, you know, right. what, what you, what you need. And I said, no, I need to come here because anytime I was left alone during that month, I would just cry. Yeah. Like if I just felt the silence, mm-hmm. I would just cry. And I couldn't imagine being home because she would still going to school. Right. My husband was going to work. My other daughter was in school. The other one's not home. I mean, I could keep myself busy here, but what would I do? You know, like I was, yeah. it would let me stop and I'd have too much time to think about it. I am grateful that my other two girls were older, that they were, you know, able to get themselves dinner, you know, when we were in the hospital phases of this, it becomes safety was the concern. And, you know, at the time, I don't think we realized how much of it was suicide prevention or how much yeah. of it was keep Bridget alive at the time so probably not the best coping mechanism (laughs) Um, we did have to learn in the hospital helped me I got her um, an IEP Mm -hmm. an individualized education plan because school was plummeting she couldn't keep up with her grades and it wasn't an academic issue and that was really strange being a teacher to sit on the opposite what I call the opposite side of the Mm -hmm. table you know and I have heard this same statement said they said just because the hospital says you need this doesn't mean we need this (laughs) and I was like okay let's go yeah um but I think another coping mechanism you just you want to defend your kid all you can but when this was all said and done I my friend encouraged me to reach out and I've met with a therapist for myself Um, that is so good good for you for doing that yeah, you you get lost in the shuffle. You know, yeah. it's easy to do that as a parent. Like it can easily become all about your kids. And then you have a situation that requires a lot more. I remember at the end of our first meeting, she's like, you have to find you mm-hmm. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> the thing was, I didn't want to talk about it all the time. I couldn't talk right. about it. So like my, my best friends didn't find out until this past October either. And our neighbor and everybody has been so supportive yeah like, like it wasn't no one has even said a negative well, yeah thing, exactly <laughs> what you're afraid of happening uh, and afraid of what other people will say like literally no one will do that uh, you know similar story with my older brother who's died by suicide I have not had a negative yeah. experience when I've told somebody even though that's like my worst fear is they're going to say something totally off the cuff and inappropriate and it makes me angry but that's never right. happened no, not at all. Not at all. And um, my parents were my last phone call, like to make out this short list mm-hmm. of people that I felt needed to, to know. And um, my dad 
was tearing up, I could tell on the other end. And my stepmom, I said, I'm sorry, I didn't call you. And she's like, it's fine. You would have called if you needed. I know everybody yeah. would have been here yeah. and they would have helped. Like they would have dropped anything to come, but I just couldn't deal with more. Mm-hmm. I couldn't deal with more people. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I just, I could only focus on what I could, fo- what we could focus on. And yeah. it was just a lot of Bridget and the help she needed. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think, um, I think my mom had a very similar coping mechanism when uh, my older brother died by suicide. I remember, you know, she, it's like, I, we all experienced the same thing. You know, my older brother died, but Mm -hmm. the way that I was handling it versus the way that my dad was handling it versus the way that my mom was handling it. I was like, how is my mom so okay right now? Like not angry at her, but like, how is she not a mess right now? Because I'm a mess. You know, I I remember having a conversation and asking her about like, are you okay? Like what, what are, you know, are you grieving in your own way or what's going on? And she was like, I just, I need to know that you and Katie, my older sister are going to be okay before I can let myself grieve. And so she went through the whole like protecting her own kids and, and, you know, planning the funeral and and the visitation and like everything that goes along with the death in the family and everything that goes along with Mm -hmm. grieving that death. And then it wasn't until my sister and I were back on our feet where my mom felt like, okay, now I can grieve because my kids are going to be okay. So now it's my turn to go and seek help and, and um, grieve in my own way. And you know, I would have never asked her to do that, but I was right. very, very, very grateful that she was able to do that for us because we right. definitely needed her. But yeah, God, moms yeah. are great. Moms are great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's just something that happens that you tend to, you go into autopilot, you yes. know, there's that mm-hmm. mother instinct. And mm-hmm. uh, now sometimes you can enable people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, along the way did you was your brother's suicide a shock out of the blue or had he had a journey of therapies and things yeah so when it happened it was definitely a shock to pretty Mm -hmm. much the whole family um he had suffered with depression in the past Mm -hmm. um and he had been to therapy a few times nothing really intensive just a couple sessions of counseling there was one several years before he actually died by suicide where he he mentioned like I I've had these thoughts before mm-hmm. um but he seemed to work through it and he seemed to be okay and um he was on medication for a while and then you know he started he moved in with my dad and started working um full-time job and he seemed to be doing really well for himself and so he's like I feel good about you know bumping down my medication I don't think I need it anymore mm-hmm. um which is what he did and I think it was probably six to nine months after that time frame mm-hmm. um, when he actually died by suicide. So there was some red flags in terms of history, but like there right. was nothing in like the immediate time frame that right. even looking back on it, like there's nothing that any of us could have been like, oh my God, if only we had seen that or known this or whatever. It, right. I don't think right. we could have. Right. You know, change the outcome at all. No, no, it can happen so quickly. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. back to, we, we, it's not like cancers or a broken leg yeah. or something that you can see 
on x-rays and all that, you know, like super easy or you physically see when someone mm-hmm. is injured. so much is kept, you know, in the brain that doesn't always come out that they just wrestle with, you know, when yeah. she would talk about the thoughts in her head. And I was like, you, you just went to school for the first time in over a month, like, and softball, like to, to, the day is normal. It was awesome. It was yeah. Rocking. Yeah. But it wasn't inside, you know, yeah. it's so tricky. So then I think you, like for us, we had to learn to trust what she was telling us, whether we mm-hmm. agreed with it or not. And that was one of the biggest strategies or skills that we had to learn was to validate her emotions, mm-hmm. whether we agreed or not. Because once you validate her thinking, then her, her, she can relax. Like I yeah. was heard. And yeah. then you can maybe get around to the, the point or the observations that you see a little mm-hmm. bit later. But in the moment, you are not going to have any kind of conversation when her emotions were dysregulated her private therapist gave us one of the um, best tools I remember along the way on and off sometimes when she couldn't talk I'd write notes and slide them under her door you know just to just to know like I'm here yeah you know slide back but he had us make um, a strip of paper with Mm -hmm. like a stoplight on it so it was red yellow and green and when she was dysregulated and had to use all her tools that she had in her Mm -hmm. toolbox like she would shut her door and slide it red and she could have like 30 minutes without a check but during Mm -hmm. that time she should have moved that to yellow just so that we would know she was coming out of it I think the frustrating part for Bridget along the way is she'd had all these therapies all these therapies they still weren't working you know Mm -hmm. like but it was where her she had to come to that point where she was willing to receive the help and she had to internalize it and own it you know Mm -hmm. and that happens in anything, any skill you're learning, like as a teacher, yeah. you can, like, I can tell kids to use punctuation in their writing, but until they <laughs> see a need for it, they're yeah. just going to write their words, you know, yeah. little people. But she had to come to that point where she was willing to receive that and put it into action. I think too, with, you know, my brother's death, it, it's, they can be fine. It can be a shock, but there's, and there's a lot that we don't know what's going on in their brain, but it can also be incredibly situational you know you you have one just awful day at at work or you just an an awful experience you know with out in society and you're just like man I I just don't feel like doing this anymore you know what I mean like it's right it it can really just be that what to to us would be like man that was a really bad day you know better luck next time better luck tomorrow you know right Um, right. for them it's just like why like this is if this is what life is going to be like then I'm right I'm not going to stay here you know just a quick reaction you know yeah exactly that it becomes such tragedy yeah I know that Uh moms and parents in general are willing to do pretty much anything uh for their own child if it if it's going to benefit them and it seems like you reached a point wherein you realized, like, even you, as her own mother, didn't necessarily have all the right tools to help Bridget with what she was experiencing and suffering with. What was that like? And what did you do to overcome that? Yeah, I think it was her last hospitalization when mm-hmm. um, the helpline said yes to bring her. And my husband went down to do that. And just waking up the next day, I, I just got to, I didn't know what to do next. 
Yeah. Like we, we had done a hospitalization. We had done the calm floor. We had done intensive outpatient. I knew she needed DBT training because that has been, I've read so many books. Like every time I met with these doctors, I've read 15 to 20 books, you know, mm-hmm. like they give me a book, I'd read it because and that's what kept me busy, distracted. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if I can learn more, <laughs> I can help. That's how I could help that I could breathe almost, you know, yeah. like there wasn't the battle, getting her to school, getting her out of bed, making sure she had enough time to eat, mm-hmm. worried about the grades, what, you know, there's an F here for two weeks. And like, she loves to play music, you know, as a teenager. So in the car, it's always constantly like mm-hmm. participate about music. Um, and my car was quiet, you know, and oh, I thought, yeah. oh, I'd leave school and I would just drive to children's and it was quiet, you know, um, mm-hmm. And I remember when we brought her home, we drove separate and we weren't sure we were, we knew we were bringing her home, but we didn't think it through. So like, we didn't bring her shoes back. Oh no. We didn't have a coat for her. Like she left, there's a picture of her coming out and she's wearing my husband's running shoes from the back of his car and his oh coat. So she's like still in her, like her hospital pants and shirt. Cause we didn't even bring regular clothes. Yeah, like, that's funny. Sent it all home. We didn't even like think about it. Um, I think we thought she was coming home Friday and they ended up calling mm. like the last minute Thursday and said she can come today. And they did let Ashley come to help pick her up. So that was a, a surprise that Ashley was mm-hmm. allowed to come and uh, meet the doctor and stuff. But I remember um, like there was a sense of peace. I, yeah. I didn't know what else to do here. And I felt totally guilty about that. But I was like, and I think my husband and I were on separate pages about that in a way because I mean of course we just wanted her home mm-hmm. but I, I was like I, I don't know what else to do I can't juggle it all anymore I was yeah. you know I had that realization and I felt she was safe there and yeah the experts knew what to do because what we had tried and helped wasn't working you know because here we are we're back at it again mm-hmm. um and when we brought her home and we got in the car she turned on some music and I just smiled and went, I did miss that. I will take Bridget's <laughs> music every day. <laughs> I think it's okay to realize you can't do it. And you, it's okay to accept you need a break. And mm-hmm. I don't think I had realized it probably until that moment when she was at the hospital, you know. So, yeah, and um, it must have been so isolating too. I mean, you you... For your own reasons, you didn't feel like you you wanted to or needed to reach out to friends and family members, but that also meant that they didn't know. And so you're on this roller coaster all by yourselves. Right, right. And I know it was nice when I I told the direct people I work with at school, but I was even like, there's a board when you're absent from school. And I had said to my principal, I said, don't put my name on that board each day that I'm gone. Because then people were going to ask questions, you know. I told like the four girls I worked with and uh, they were super sweet like they got me a gift card to Panera they're like just so you can get dinner and I remember I went across from the hospital and sat there and just enjoyed a bagel while I waited for her to meet Mm -hmm. the doctor I really just appreciated like that simple act of kindness right Mm -hmm. I could have gone to Panera and afforded a sandwich on my own or a bagel yeah but I I never would have I wasn't doing it yeah until they gave me that gift card you know I just had a routine and you get a beverage uh free beverage a day when your child's in the hospital and I go get a warm cup of tea so it was just interesting all the things I would notice that children Mm -hmm. did to help families 
I mentioned this before a little bit, commenting on you know Bridget's bravery and resilience and and continued with treatments. But it seems like she arrived at a point where even after receiving treatment after treatment, um, she kind of realized that she still wasn't at 100%. She's still not there yet. I'm still having these thoughts. Mm-hmm. How did that make you feel when you were, you know, you mentioned that day after softball practice and everything was, for lack of a better word, normal. And then you come and sit down at the table and she's telling you she's still having those thoughts. I mean, how do you even go forward from there? It's that overdrive, I think, you know, like mm-hmm. I heard her words and I went, we call the helpline. But I remember in my head, I had enough knowledge that the response wasn't, what do you mean? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> like, <how can> we... <laughs> Seriously, I mean, like in my head, I was like, I was rushing, like I was going through the last 20, mm-hmm. you know, like 25 minute drive home. Yeah. We were singing, we were laughing, the music was playing, the we got fast food, which we never get. You're yeah. sitting here eating fast food. <laughs> you're eating, you're talking. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, what do you mean? You know? Yeah. And I just, then I went to, okay. And I think I really thought we would call and they would say, nope, you don't mm. need to come. You know, I really think, and I think every time, the, the two times we called, that's what I expected. Yeah. You know, like, especially because we'd been turned away the very first time, mm-hmm. which we, we should have been, we, that was just, and I just thought we would be turned away. And then I think Scott talked to him on the end of that comp phone and uh, he said, Nope, I have to take her. He's like, I'll just go. You stay here with Ashley. I mean, Ashley was in bed by that mm-hmm. point, but he went down and did that admission with her um, at children's. And so you do, you have these thoughts, but it wouldn't have helped anybody if I had said that out loud. Oh yeah. No, (laughs) no. Yeah. Probably not. But it's still like, I I mean, hearing that for, you know, the third, fourth or or fifth time, you just gotta be like, Oh God, like after, after going through it, you know, over and over again, and and to know that you may have to go through it again and it may be worse, you know, cause you just don't know. That's right. That's tough. It was very tough. Yeah. And I think I finally went to sleep because those that can take a long time, you know, mm-hmm. and depending on how busy the hospital is and stuff. And we talked in the morning and, and then he came home and we worked through it the next day. So obviously your relationship with Bridget has to have changed based on, on what you've been through. Um, and what mm-hmm. ways do you think it has changed? What kind of things have evolved? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I, there are many days that's what I would say would be a normal teenager. And I have to remind myself yeah. that this is normal. Like yeah. she's mad at me because I told her to put away the towels. Like <laughs> that's not dysregulation or depression right. or anxiety. <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, it goes, it comes and it goes. Sometimes it's, mm-hmm. it's that normal teenage parent head clicking but I think she knows like she talks to me more about things than sometimes um that have come up or if you you catch her in the moment it's tricky it's not like she tells me everything and I don't need to know everything right um she is more open than my other two daughters sometimes she'll tell me things that I'm like oh I don't need to know that (laughs) you can keep that Uh, one to yourself (laughs) right I didn't need to know um and then you know, there are other times it's very sweet. Yeah, that's a hard question. 
Yeah. It's not like yeah. there's an aha. Like, oh, the switch is like, flipped. Everything's fine. Right. We're, we're closer than we ever were before. Yeah. It's right. not like that. Right. Right. I don't think there's, a, there's ever been a big, huge switchful moment mm-hmm. because I'll still check in. I don't have to, like we were to the point with her grades, it was the Friday check every Friday. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't done, it had to be done by Sunday at six. So if anything, like we're very grateful, like we've moved into what I would say is a normal teenage experience right now, you know, for the most part, you know, like she goes to school, she hangs out with her friends. She has a great boyfriend. Um, She works, like Mm -hmm. she goes to a job, you know, there was a time where we couldn't leave her alone at all. Yeah, Um, It comes and goes, you know that connection and all she does say um like because she's getting ready to go to college next year uh-huh. and that has a you know normal anxiousness and oh yeah and what, one time in a conversation she said but you and dad won't be right there oh and I said, no, we, we won't be right there and I think all kids kind of experience that but oh, for yeah? her, that's this is going to be way different yeah and I said, no but you can text me you can call me and I can be there in just over an hour Yep. At the drop of a hat, yep. we will be there, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, and she says, I know I have all these supports, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, so I think we just have to stay aware about what's next. Have your relationships with any of your other immediate family members changed or, you know, maybe not that switch flip we were talking about, but like, have they, how have they evolved with your other daughters and maybe your husband? Yeah, I think the other daughters have a little more patience or understanding mm-hmm. or they both check in on me a little bit more maybe I I talk to both of them a lot or um, they'll give me little pep talks or encouraging I sometimes have a phrase I'll say I'm gonna move to Australia I tell the oldest one because oh there's a picture book <laughs> Alexander in <laughs> the terrible horrible no good very bad day uh-huh. and I used to read it to her all the time I said well I just want to be like Alexander and I'm going to Australia today. <laughs> and she'll say, well, I'll pack my bags with you, mom. When are we going? Oh my God. That is so funny because <laughs> I say the same exact thing, except yeah. with my mom, except I say New Zealand instead. New okay. Zealand instead of Australia. <laughs> yep. I mean, it would be hard to say there, there isn't, yeah. there wasn't tension yeah. or there can't be, you know, my husband and I definitely support each other, but everybody has different viewpoints too mm-hmm. at times you know you have to work through the bump along the way um and I think with our like our parents and our friends like even if I opened up more if I could call any of them today they'd be here in a heartbeat you know Mm -hmm. um I think for a couple of my friends they were like oh I think they just thought I was my super busy Mandy and I only had one at home I'm like I'm not that super busy but I couldn't tell them why like I wouldn't go out and I couldn't leave her home alone yeah um, so I think it brought some peace and some understanding and just that grace and gratitude like, mm-hmm. oh, she's okay. She's doing her thing, you know, but a couple of friends will send a text now and like, Hey, how's Bridget doing? You know, like they don't ask all the time, but it's nice just to be asked, you know, like, yeah. Asked and, and I, thought of. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, just to know and thinking of you. And that probably would have been way helpful sooner, but <laughs> it was my own stubbornness. Right, and worries. right, 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 right. So if you could go back in time to when things, you know, seemed at their worst and, and the most dire situation and, and with Bridget and your experiences and knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? 
I think I would have seeked help earlier for her. Mm-hmm. Um, even in elementary school, her emotions could go from one to 10. And I'd be like, why is she so upset over that? You know, mm-hmm. um, I wish I had talked to her pediatrician mm-hmm. earlier. And then I wish, like, I knew her private therapist, you know, her second one, even the first one said she, with emotion dysregulation, she needed DBT. And we could only go to children's and that meant we had to stop our current therapist. And I was trying to honor her wishes to stay with the current therapist. I wish I had nipped it in the bud and been Mm. stronger, even though it probably would have caused chaos and turmoil. Um, Because no matter when we did, did it, it was hard, right? Right. You know, but she learned, she learned to accept it that Mm -hmm. I need much more help and I need to get there. I wish we had advocated or I had been strong enough instead of just kind of meandering then a little bit more aggressive to get to that therapy Mm. that we knew like she needed. But also the hindsight is maybe we had to get that that bad. Maybe. To really receive the therapy then. Yeah, that's true. It's just unfortunate. Um, we're so fortunate that Children's was able to build that new hospital mental health facility with mm-hmm. um, Big Watts. Um, Bridget and I had the opportunity. We spoke as a private donor dinner yeah. that night. Um, and that will forever be my Cinderella moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Watching her speak and advocate and thank people for her journey and their support you know it was like three minutes and she wore a hot pink pantsuit from the law <laughs> and they were so gracious to her that night I mean I think that was probably the biggest healing moment for our family yeah. my oldest daughter came uh, my my middle one was at Kent State and um she said she goes I couldn't do this I mean Bridget was talking to hospital CEOs doctors private donors which are big big donors Mm -hmm. she was she was like working the party um yeah (laughs) she was she was working the party she's doing it well yeah yeah she she was you we stood back and watched her and she has great verbal skills she always has Mm -hmm. and she's comfortable talking to adults and um at the end of that moment for her she said my name is Bridget Roback and I am breaking stigmas Um, and that's their tagline yeah and it wasn't in her speech she just came up with that on her own and she got a standing ovation like she really we could not leave that event it was like this sweet lady from Tennessee she was the biggest uh, fundraiser and I didn't realize how much work Big Lots does in this field Mm -hmm. working with children Um, but this sweet southern lady she she just held her hand and just said you you know just people were in awe because they believe in this cause right yeah um just even speaking with you today, you know, and learning the whole suicide prevention side of this work that needs to be done and breaking the barriers and things. So other advocate moments have opened for Bridget. And um, I think, you know, you have a a hard story, but you turn it around and pay it forward. And it's, you know, there's been positives coming out of this. Yeah, that's amazing. All in a hot pink pantsuit, huh? A hot pink pantsuit. Yeah. I'll send you a picture of her in it. Please do. <laughs> you have to see it. She even wore heels. She because she's so tall. She's oh, 5'11 to begin you with. You can't wear a hot pink pantsuit without no. heels. No, no, no. You mm-hmm. can't. <laughs> no. It's amazing how many people have had a story too. 
and how many people are affected mm-hmm. by mental health. You and, know, and um, that's what I, I think I'm learning now is sometimes it just takes that, that little bit of initiating of a conversation to open the door to talk about that mm-hmm. stuff. Like almost everyone has been affected by it, but nobody talks about it. And so right. whoever is the bravest or, or the most willing to be vulnerable who opens that door to initiate that conversation, like you might say one thing, but then someone over here says something else and someone over there says like, oh my God, me too. And it's just like, mm-hmm. well, why didn't we talk about it earlier? You guys like, come on, like right, we're all suffering. Right. Let's suffer right. together at least. Right. Right. Well, because you find comfort and you're not mm-hmm. alone Yeah. because it can be so alone. That was one thing I do wish. And you know, we had the parent support when we were at the hospital, but the day you leave the hospital, there was no parent group. Yeah. There was, you know, how can we, support because not everything needs a hospitalization but we didn't come home magically sick we came home and Mm -hmm. had hard you know there's hard days there's hard moments um and luckily we have the supports in place but it's comforting to be able to talk to someone who's gone through the similar thing because all my friends would be there and they would listen but they don't don't know the lingo yeah 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 and they get it because they love you you know and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they'll comfort you but to have someone to really understand some of that yeah yeah that's huge in terms of advice or guidance is there anything that you would give to a family or um, maybe another mom who might be going through something similar I would um, encourage people to get help Mm -hmm. you know for for your for your child if you have any question in your mind to talk to your start with your family doctors and they can help guide you to get the help and then when you when you get to that specialist learn as much as you can mm-hmm. about the language and the lingo and things they're talking like don't be afraid to ask questions um anytime I'd have a doctor I walked in with a notebook and I walked in with a list of questions <laughs> because you get like they're busy people right yeah. and you know you've got five minutes or ten minutes with them right. um I also started to keep a journal that was just the fact I really was careful not to say how I was feeling about mm-hmm. events that were happening, things she would say, things she would do. I would just stick to the facts so that I could communicate that with her doctors or her therapist. You know, this is what happened. What should we do? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, was this response okay? But sometimes just writing it down then took it off my head. Yeah. You know, she got mad at dinner and stormed away from the table. Simple example, right? But if I just wrote it down, then I wasn't ruminating and still thinking about why did she do this or, or how am I supposed to help her or because as the days goes on days go on so much happens and you're trying to cope with everything else and mm-hmm. manage your life and other kids and jobs or so if I wrote it down the night I, I didn't forget things mm-hmm. it helped yeah. me there the last thing is don't keep it bottled up inside even if you don't want to tell your whole family find one yeah. person that yeah can just check check in on you and help along the way it was really it was really hard. It's what yeah. it's what I needed, and I don't regret that decision. But in, I, it would have been okay to reach out a little bit. You talked about the um, was it a dinner or a banquet? It was a dinner. Yeah, it was dinner. a dinner to thank all the people who had. They got to come have a private tour of the facility okay. before it was opened up to the public, and then there was just there like a very nice Cameron Mitchell dinner that was catered in and like the a doctor spoke and then I spoke and then Bridget spoke 
you know, including that, what other things have you and, and Bridget also been doing to raise awareness and lessen the stigma surrounding suicide and mental illness in general? Yeah, Bridget, um, after that opportunity, you can nominate kids who have received services at Children's to be a patient champion. Mm-hmm. And so then they have different events for fundraising events that they share kids' stories and the success and work at Children's. And uh, Bridget was um, selected to be um, the patient champion for last year's Columbus Marathon. And so by telling her story and then um, that was, you know, we did some fundraising mm-hmm. for there. So her page was public. Unfortunately, the event was um, virtual. You know, oh, they couldn't do it in right. person. So um, she is still a patient champion for that event this coming year. And then she would be at a mile marker cheering all the race participants on. Cool. Um, and I think typically for that fundraising, she might have attended more events, you know, like leading up to it or right. um, along the way. When she was a patient champion, Ikea Red is a local. And so then afterwards, Ikea messaged Bridget through her Instagram. Mm-hmm. And they made a connection and they started talking to each other and just, she was cheering her on and just how inspiring. And we were supposed to meet and have a brunch with her. And then COVID came and shut everything down. They will like each other's photos. And I always get an update when Ikea Red has, you know, (laughs) shared something. Because Bridget did share on her Instagram account, you know, that she was a patient champion, you know, did some raising of funds. And then when she was a patient champion, Ikea Red did a Zoom interview with her to yeah and put it on her Facebook page so they just had a face-to-face conversation and it was recorded and they just talked about their mental health journeys together um with the patient champion we did an interview with Sunny 95 radio Mm -hmm. um so that was the first time we got to go into the studio masks on and I sat next to Bridget and just watched her courage and her poise yeah and it's amazing because it's not the same child I watched go through it she's taking that huge empathy and she's honest she'll tell you like how she felt and described Mm -hmm. and then children's really has helped us they um channel six reached out to them and wanted to talk about the increase in suicides with the pandemic and teens Mm -hmm. and so the news reporter so that just aired a couple weeks ago and um so Bridget they came to our home and talk to Bridget for like 25 minutes and me for 20 minutes and mm-hmm. put together a little montage of just Bridget's journey. And then she just got a message. Someone interviewed Ikea Red and mm-hmm. someone messaged her on Instagram and said, Hey, can you help us out? So for oh channel six, or channel so 10, cool. and then we have the spotlight with channel four coming up. I really think Bridget has a lot in her to help others. I'd love to see her talk to a panel of kids yeah. at some point. How do we keep helping and hopefully prevent these mm-hmm. things? And and I do have worries. I mean, we're just not out of, no, you're not out of the woods, you know, right. like she's out of the woods, but she's going to have to keep working hard. Fingers crossed that we've given her the tools and we'll be there to support. That's why I think your podcast is so important. <laughs> Thank you. I, I also, you know, feel similarly, like I, you know, part of the reason for this podcast is to discuss just mental health in general because it is this big, scary stigma topic that nobody talks about. But if you have someone, you know, younger who's talking about like, yeah, my older brother died by suicide. Here's what it was like. And then, you know, they're interviewing other people who have had 
you know, experiences or witnessed, you know, other things that are really more commonplace than you think. Another thing, like we talk so much about self-care, mm-hmm. that that's just one piece of a puzzle. Yeah. And I worry that sometimes the self-care, I mean, there's lots of things to do, but it, we just think we have to take a bubble bath and that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think one of the things, you know, through the DBT class is that as parents, we had to do our own self-care, right? Because we're so much in hyper Mm-hmm. mode working with trying to keep the family and everything afloat that it's okay to go for a quiet walk with a dog or I have to make sure yeah. and that's been one of the things I've always done even when the kids were little I just would go walk every morning before they got up or um it's okay for me to go sit and read a book for 15 minutes mm-hmm. you know or be outside in nature it's huge you know like or opposite action if they're in bed you gotta get them out of bed you know you just gotta get up and moving that I think it's very simple things that can be done you know like there's all kinds of of levels but you have to perform the simple things habit to help with the long-term bigger picture and it's a whole mishmash you know it's medicine and those things and therapists and a little piece of everything so yeah and it's completely different for everyone you know what what self-care for someone is totally not self-care for someone else right and what works one time it Mm -hmm. may not work other times yeah and so that's what you have to shift and adjust. And I think that's what I look at Bridget's journey. Like what did work, didn't work. And then we had to keep going. I think with the pandemic, we've all learned to have grace for ourselves mm-hmm. and for others to hang on to that maybe, you know, like during the hard times, yes, you can be the energizer bunny and yes, you can keep things going and yes, it's okay to fall apart, but remember to offer everybody involved some grace. I think sometimes it's easy to, or you can have moments like, why, why aren't they thinking this way too? Or why aren't they as upset as I am? But we all approach things a little bit differently yeah. and just offer grace and then be patient and keep persevering. It's hard. It's frustrating. There are many times I wanted to give up. Is there in the mm-hmm. towel? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever really wanted to give up. That's probably not the best phrase. I wondered what it but you might just, be you know, like to, to just not care anymore right but that wasn't ever really an option and still isn't an option you know it's it's not what makes humans and I guess the other thing I would say is keep connecting find a way to connect and you might be doing things that you don't want to do you may not want to watch that teenage love story movie (laughs) or even if it's just a simple positive note under the door or a positive message just laid on the bathroom counter. You know, it's just those little things that really can add up much more for the people who are struggling. So maybe when this pandemic is all over, we all get our vaccines, hopefully, and we don't have to wear masks anymore. We can uh, bring that grace and that patience and that, you know, perseverance and the checking in on people. And then, you know, random acts of kindness. Let's, let's keep those around. Those can stay. Mandy, thank you so much again for being willing to speak openly and and vulnerably and for trusting me with that. Thank you also for being so generous with your time. Your narratives and perspectives we discussed today are poignant and impactful. The stigma surrounding suicide and mental illness is going to take a lot of time and a lot of deliberate effort to change, but today we've taken a step in the right direction. So thank you for being brave enough to do so. You're welcome. I've learned that telling my 
telling my story, our story is part of the healing process and it's been able to turn around those feelings. So thank you for joining us on our journey in healing because we all need to heal from hard things. And I just appreciate how you have put your own foot forward in making a difference and telling your story and still honoring of your brother's journey. Thank you so much for your kind words. If you or someone you know is in crisis, text for hope. That's the number four and the letters H-O-P-E to 741-741 to get connected to a trained crisis professional within five minutes.